Uganda faces an Ebola outbreak that's putting its health system under strain. Up to 50% of people infected die. Ebola is a condition that causes me as a doctor to feel some anxiety and for our staff, for the people on the ground. Coming up, how the country is battling to control the deadly virus, why health workers are at particular risk, and what you need to know about the outbreak. Ebola in Uganda, a new podcast from International SOS. Hello, I'm Paul Osborne. Eight years ago, West Africa was hit by the worst ever outbreak of the deadly Ebola virus. It continued across Guinea, Liberia and Sierra Leone for more than two years, killing more than 11,000 people. Now the virus has returned, this time in Uganda. The first cases were confirmed in late September, since when Ebola has spread to districts in the centre and west of the country. Dr Michael Ryan from the World Health Organization's Health Emergencies Programme has recently been in Uganda. We are seeing good progress, but we're not confident. Ebola brings surprises, infectious diseases bring surprises, are not in any way underestimating the challenge that the, that this outbreak represents. I have confidence that, that the right things are being done, but we need more scale-up. We need more support for that scale-up. Well, to learn more about the Ebola outbreak in Uganda, I've been speaking to Dr. Chris Van Stratton, Global Health Advisor, Clinical Governance at International SOS. He's been monitoring the outbreak from Johannesburg and started by explaining exactly why the return of Ebola is so worrying. Ebola is a viral hemorrhagic disease. It's a viral disease that we've known as we've had outbreaks in parts of the DRC. And we were very involved at that point in terms of our staff and supporting our clients with operations in those countries. We believe the host is a type of fruit bat. And then the transmission from human to human, you need reasonably close physical contact and it's through fluids. So it's bodily fluids, including saliva, blood, etc. So people tend to get infected with close physical contact or those caring for someone who's sick with Ebola. The other transmission routes that we've seen historically is also at a funeral, mass gathering, close contact, people touching the deceased body, and in that way, close contact with the virus. Now, it initially presents with symptoms like fever or sore throats, headaches, but it can quickly get very, very serious. Yes, Paul. So exactly that. In the beginning, we tend to see symptoms and signs of headache, joint aches, fever. Then often we've seen progressing to diarrhea and vomiting. And then it can become really serious. And in fact, up to 50% of people infected die. It does depend on the strain. There are six different strains. In some strains, it can be up to 90% of people dying. So it can get very severe, very fast, Paul. Yes, indeed. At a recent briefing on the Ebola outbreak in Uganda, uh, Henry Kubebusa, who's from Uganda's health ministry, warned of the importance of acting very quickly. An outbreak anywhere is a threat to health and security everywhere. We need to respond fast to contain this, to protect the communities through all the known measures that we have been using before and to protect the healthcare workers. 
And Chris, let's just talk a little bit more about that. Relatives, those, as you say, who are in contact with the bodies of those who have died from Ebola, they're at particular risk. But healthcare workers, there is a specific significant risk for healthcare workers too. Paul, exactly. And during the prior outbreak in West Africa, DRC, we were assisting clients in that remit keep their operations functional. And we, we got infectious disease specialists from United Kingdom, from South Africa, to join us in planning and prepping and the donning and doffing of PPE in Ebola is very specialized. There's a whole sequence. I've actually went through the training myself on how you don that whole kit at the special timing for the gloves and the gowns and the goggles and the masks. Ebola is a condition that, that causes me as a doctor to feel some anxiety and f- for our staff, for the people on the ground. We need to ensure the healthcare providers are looked after. Healthcare providers globally, as we all know, were under strain over the last years managing COVID and now on top of it, a potentially lethal uh, condition like Ebola. Well, a vaccine for Ebola was developed during that West African outbreak, which started back in 2014. But while officials say that it has limited infections and saved lives, the Director General of the World Health Organization, Dr. Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, says that in this case, it offers little protection. The vaccines used successfully to curb recent Ebola outbreaks in the Democratic Republic of the Congo are not effective against the type of Ebola virus that's responsible for this outbreak in Uganda. However, several vaccines are in various stages of development against this virus, two of which could begin clinical trials in Uganda in the coming weeks, pending regulatory and ethics approvals from the Ugandan government. So, Chris, while we await those trials and, and news of whether they are successful, what can be done now to contain the spread of Ebola? It's really sticking to the basics. So, first off, meticulous attention to hand hygiene, hand washing, sanitizing. If you are in a community where there's a suspected outbreak, avoiding communal engagements, keeping distancing, which people are now very aware of from the COVID pandemic. And it's also staying informed. We need to ensure, all of us, that we are getting the right information at the right time from the right source. During all these pandemics and the prior Ebola pandemic, misinformation, disinformation have certainly done us a major disservice. Well, I mentioned a little earlier the worst Ebola outbreak on record, which started in West Africa in 2014. Among those involved in the response to that outbreak was Clive Gillard, who's Director of Medical and Security Assistance Air Transport Services at International SOS. And Clive joins us now. Uh, Just to begin, Clive, tell us a little bit about your experiences of dealing with that outbreak back in 2014. Thanks, Paul. I think uh, the outbreak in 2014 was hugely challenging time for all of us in the industry, really. Uh, the capacity for moving patients with highly communicable diseases was not nearly as developed or as widespread to the level that it is today, particularly following our experiences with the pandemic. 
In addition to this, no vaccine was available at the time, as you'll know. I think many people remember those TV shots of the crews in full protective gear moving patients. They were quite striking, I think. During that period, we fielded a number of requests, not only for potential Ebola patients, but also for patients with other unrelated illnesses and injuries, the movement of whom was also affected by the limitations in moving patients from West Africa at the time. I think although it was a very challenging period, I think the upshot is that there was a significant number of learnings and improvements for the industry as a whole that were developed from this experience, which has really enabled a more efficient and effective response moving forward. Although, as you say, there have been advances in in the time since that outbreak, evacuating patients with Ebola is still a very complicated task. Yes, it is, Paul, on a number of levels. Uh, Firstly, from a medical perspective, there are significant requirements in terms of both the protective equipment required and the patients as well need to be uh, cooperative and in a stable medical condition at the time of movement. So from a purely medical perspective, the level of equipment and training and preparation required is very high. And I think finally, and not insignificantly, there is the human factor. Uh, At the end of the day, All of the flight and medical crews who undertake such evacuations, they do so of their own free will. Nobody can be compelled to undertake a a movement like this. I think it's important to recognize that these crews agreed to take these risks on a case-by-case basis. Not everyone will be willing to do so. And the potential for those willing crew to be already tasked on other missions at the time that uh, something comes up and therefore be unavailable is always a possibility as well. Chris Van Stratton, as, as more countries now impose additional checks on people who are leaving Uganda, presumably the advice for people would be to avoid traveling to areas where Ebola is currently present. So, Paul, the answer would be, again, depending on the context, if it's an essential travel, for example, healthcare providers going to the Mubende district or where there's suspected high-level transmission because there's urgent need for healthcare providers, they can travel and they should travel provided they've got the right equipment and training and reducing risk. If, for example, you are a business traveler, you need to go to Uganda to business, it's probably unlikely at the moment that you're at high risk, provided, as we said earlier, you are not being exposed to people or hospital settings or funeral settings where it might be possible to contract Ebola. Should we be worried about Ebola potentially spreading elsewhere? I think the good news here is that based on our experience to date and the lessons that we've been learned not only from previous outbreaks in West Africa and the DRC, but also over the last few years of pandemic response, We've become much more practiced in terms of appropriate biosafety precautions, screening protocols, and disease surveillance. The presentation of Ebola hemorrhagic fever is very different to something like COVID, where, for instance, you know you could be asymptomatic, not know you had it, get on a flight, and take it somewhere else. Uh, it's not to say that there's no risk of spread, but I think it needs to be taken in the appropriate context. At this stage, I wouldn't consider it a widespread transmission of Ebola from Uganda to be something that uh, should be a significant worry for uh, for international travellers. Yes, so working on the assumption that it continues to behave the way it has behaved historically, if the containment actions that government is putting in place, the support from WHO, the testing, the screening, the isolation, if those measures 
are effective as they have been previously, we are hopeful that it will be contained. So I think at the moment we need to be cautious, but we don't think there's community transmission at the moment. But of course, this could change. And therefore, please, we all of us need to remain vigilant. I don't think we need to be scared, but we need to be vigilant, cautious, and keep updated. Dr. Chris Van Stratton, Global Health Advisor, Clinical Governance at International SOS, and Clive Gillard, Director of Medical and Security Assistance, Air Transport Services. Well, as the outbreak continues, clients can access the latest information and alerts from our website, internationalsos.com. And from the site, you can also find out about our global network of assistance centres, available to clients 24-7. For now, though, thanks very much for listening. And until next time, goodbye.